This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, April 13th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack could have easily been avoided, if only. The six-year-old Xcode ghost malware affected millions more users than Apple let on. Recently discovered design and standards flaws in Wi-Fi devices could affect you. And what happens when an Apple AirTag gets sent through the mail? Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing great. We've got a lot to talk about today, and especially about AirTags. But we're going to start with some... I guess it's just sort of basic malicious malware, right? The FBI identified this group behind the pipeline hack. There's a pipeline that was hacked with ransomware. It goes from Texas all along the eastern seaboard to bring, I think, gasoline to different states. And they've locked it down and the company can't provide the gasoline. And there's been a bit of a gas shortage, but not because there's not enough gasoline, but because people started panicking and buying the gasoline, worried that there might not be enough gasoline. And it seems like all of this could have been avoided. <laughs> we, we don't really have the full details and we probably never will get very specific details. But it seems like what is going on here is that some of these systems that got attacked either did not have antivirus software at all, or if they did, it was probably horribly out of date because the ransomware that the dark side hacker group is using is not exactly brand new. It should have been blocked. This really goes to show that our critical infrastructure is a lot more vulnerable than I think we would like to believe it is. There was a documentary that came out just over five years ago called Hacking the Grid. If you look it up on, on uh, Amazon, it's also available on YouTube. Uh, Watch hackers break into the U.S. power grid is what this video is called. And this is just um, a, a penetration testing group, a group of people who as a profession, they find ways to break into a building or or hack a company, and they do this to help the company increase their security. And this particular uh, power company hired somebody to do this. Um, it's very enlightening. Uh, and I recommend that if you haven't seen this video, it's worth watching because you'll see a lot of things in here that maybe you have, n have never really considered before. There's a lot of social engineering, like human brain hacking kind of stuff going on. But there's also really dumb, you know, breaking into a facility kind of stuff, too, that anybody could do. And this kind of stuff... Um, it's going to become more and more common, isn't it? It absolutely will. And in fact, w when this whole thing started happening and people were getting concerned about the pipeline, um, there were some initial concerns that there might have been some state-sponsored attacks going on. It turns out it was just this hacking group, Darkseid, that is you know fairly well-known and not known to be connected with a particular uh, government entity. So... Um, it could have been a lot worse. It's important to note, as the New York Times article that I'll link to says, the ransomware does not direct it at the control systems of the pipeline, but rather the back office operations of the company. Nevertheless, the fear of greater damage forced the company to shut down the system. And it's not that even the pipeline itself was directly targeted, and maybe the system managing the pipeline does have more robust security on it. Yeah, maybe. 
<laughs> Maybe. In the same paragraph in the New York Times article, it says that this shutdown was a move that drove home the huge vulnerabilities in the patched together network that keeps gas stations, truck stops, and airports running. And that's one of the weaknesses that the current administration is addressing, trying to renew infrastructure, that these things are all sort of jury rigged, stuck together with chewing gum and duct tape. Yeah. So <laughs> hopefully there will be some positive changes in this regard. And, and I, I hope that this is eye opening for the government and that they recognize that there are real serious security concerns here. And when they're looking at doing, you know, infrastructure reworking, this should be a very high priority on the list. Okay. We recently talked about the new feature in iOS 14.5, where you can decide whether you want to allow apps to request to track you. And this is particularly problematic for Facebook and Instagram that track you through other apps, not just on the web. It turns out that 96% of users have left app tracking off in iOS 14.5. Now, I've seen a few headlines that said 96% of users had opted out of tracking, but that's wrong. It's that they haven't opted in. The feature is off by default, and they have to manually turn it on. This stresses the importance of insecurity and privacy matters requiring that people opt in if they want to be tracked or surveyed rather than requiring them to opt out. And very often there's the tyranny of the default where the defaults are usually working against you or not really in your favor. In this case, Apple actually did the right thing with the default setting by caring about your privacy by default. That's not something we commonly see with a lot of companies, so definitely props to Apple for choosing the right way to go about this. Um, because the majority of users probably do prefer to not be tracked, and you know, if they really want to be tracked and have their ads customized, then they'll see these prompts from the Facebook and Instagram apps like we talked about last week. And uh, they can choose to, to enable that tracking if they want to. But it's better to have it off by default. So good job, Apple. In a similar vein, WhatsApp is going to restrict features if you refuse Facebook data sharing. And this is both on iOS and Android. Now, WhatsApp is owned by Facebook. So what will happen if people don't agree to this privacy policy is that people will not be able to access their chat list, but they'll still be able to answer incoming phone and video calls. And after a few weeks of limited functionality, they will not be able to receive incoming calls or notification, and WhatsApp will stop sending messages and calls to your phone. Now, I've always wondered if I disagree with a privacy policy on an app, what are they going to do to me? And in most cases, nothing. If you disagree with the terms and conditions that Apple presents when you're installing a version of macOS, it won't install. The installer will quit and you'll be back to square one. So you can't install it. But a lot of times I see apps or websites, you know, do you agree to these cookies? No. Well, we're going to move on. We're probably going to use the cookies anyway. Here, WhatsApp and Facebook are being extremely rigid about this. Yeah, this is one of those things where, you know, because WhatsApp is such a popular app, one of the top communication methods in some countries, that's where this gets pretty concerning. But at the same time, you know, I mean, as soon as WhatsApp was acquired by Facebook, I mean, we had to know that, that something like this was eventually coming, right? Facebook is not a privacy-friendly company. It never has been, and it very likely never will be because of how they make their money. Uh, it's very frustrating, I'm sure, for a lot of people who are, again, in a country where WhatsApp is a primary communication method. 
So we have a vulnerability for Wi-Fi devices. It goes back to 1997. Do you know how long ago that was? That's 24 years ago, 1997. These vulnerabilities are known as frag attacks, which allow an attacker within the device's Wi-Fi radio range to gather information about the owner and run malicious code to compromise the device, whether it be a computer smartphone or other smart device. So this is not just your Wi-Fi router. Are these all devices back to 1997? So are current iPhones potentially affected by this? Okay. So most of the time with these kind of flaws, they are implementation flaws, meaning that it's not necessarily something wrong with the standard itself, but more how the vendor, how the, the company that, that made the hardware or the software that works with that hardware, how exactly they implemented the standard. In this case, it's both. <laughs> so there are, there are a number of uh, CVEs. We talked about CVEs last week, these common vulnerabilities and exposures. These are, are numbers that can be used to uniquely track and identify a particular security vulnerability. And there are three CVEs for design flaws and there are four for Wi-Fi standard implementation flaws. And then he's got an additional five for other implementation flaws. So he found like a whole series of vulnerabilities. Some are with the standard itself and some are with how companies have chosen to implement that standard. So, yeah, this definitely affects a lot of devices. It's not obvious whether this necessarily affects iPhones. It doesn't um, really talk about Apple devices in particular, but we can try to see whether, you know, those CVE numbers come up in Apple patches, you know, to try to determine whether some Apple devices might be affected by some of these things. In any case, um, you know, this is definitely something that it does affect a lot of devices going back really far in time. I mean, you know, it's not very likely that too many people are using Wi-Fi enabled devices built in 1997 or 1998 at this point. But um, there have been a lot of devices built since then that are no longer getting security updates. You're still going to be vulnerable if you've got one of these older devices that's not getting a security update. I would say, generally speaking, as long as you've got recent hardware that can run a recent operating system, you're usually protected from these types of flaws. We've mentioned many times, if you have a router that you bought that doesn't come from your ISP, which in that case would probably get regular updates, you need to check to update the router. ISPs generally push out updates to routers you know, when necessary. They do it at 2 in the morning or 4 in the morning. But if you bought one yourself and you haven't checked for an update, you should do so Set a reminder in your calendar to check every couple of months. And if it does have an automatic update feature, you should turn that on. If there has not been an update to your router's firmware in, I would say, more than a year, you should probably suspect that there aren't going to be any more updates for your particular router. And you probably should look into getting a new model. An outdated router is a really easy way for an attacker to break into into your network in, in many cases. So make sure that you are keeping it up to date. And if it won't update anymore, if there haven't been updates recently, replace it. Okay, some Apple news. In September 2015, there was malware called Xcode Ghost. And this malware took advantage of some 
how would you say, infected versions of Xcode that apparently Chinese developers were downloading this because it was local and because they didn't have the bandwidth to get it from Apple and this was the easy way to get it. And this injected malicious code into a number of apps. Now, at the time when we reported on it, we thought there were 39 apps and Apple didn't say too much. And then it turned out that there were more apps, but it didn't seem too serious. In the current trial between Fortnite and Apple, some emails came out and it turns out that there were 128 million users. Sorry, 128 million users. That's what I said, 128 million users affected by this. And Apple decided not to tell anyone. And these emails are basically some discussions between Apple executives asking, well, should we tell these people how difficult would be? And the problem is that in order to protect the reputation of iOS of being secure, they decided to not tell 128 million users that they had downloaded infected software. Well, at least that's what it kind of seems like happened here. It was almost like, you know, they, they had some excuses in, ter- in their internal discussions and reasons why this was going to be kind of a pain to notify all the users. And so then ultimately they just didn't act on it and they didn't make any sort of announcement. They, well, okay, they did make sort of an announcement. They put up a page on their site, quickly corrected it. They said that they were going to contact affected users and then they pulled that comment from this page on their website. So... It was a little bit of a of a, an internal conflict, and ultimately, I guess the the de- default was not sending something. They would have had to really go out of their way to uh, to contact the specific users who had downloaded one of these apps, and they ultimately just didn't do it. Well, it's not that they just didn't do it. It's that they decided to not tell all these people. They could have had other options. They could have gone to the press and said, hey, people should know that these apps could be malicious. Delete them, reinstall them from the app store. Now, most of these people were in China. These apps were all in Chinese, and most of the the people affected were in China. Apparently, 18 million people were in the U.S., and these could be Chinese Americans or Chinese people living in the U.S., For a company that's talking about security to kind of sweep something like this under the rug is a bit serious. Yeah, and and some of the apps that are in this list, and this is going back in September 2015, we knew about Angry Birds 2 was one of these apps. So it's not like they were all super unpopular apps that nobody has ever heard of either. These these included some really popular apps at the time. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have a lot to say about AirTags. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. 
Okay, this week's Florida Man story. If you don't know, Florida Man is a meme where people find funny things that Florida Man does. And, well, here's someone who tried to track his robbery victim by attaching an iPhone to his car. Now, if he'd had an Apple AirTag before, he might have been able to do this more efficiently. Although, as we'll discuss in a few minutes about AirTags, AirTags do not give you real-time Tom Cruise tracking. Whereas an iPhone, when you've set it up with the Find My app, you can use it like that. And so it's just... uh, Is it really a Florida man story? Because it almost seems like it's kind of clever to do this, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of funny. So basically, this guy made a a makeshift tracking device by rigging an iPhone with some magnets and sticking it on the bottom of this guy's car. It's it's kind of an interesting uh, way of tracking someone, I suppose. Yeah, and so one, one expert in surveillance who's quoted in this Washington Post article that I'll link to, he said, I don't immediately see why someone would prefer to plant an iPhone rather than a purpose-built GPS tracker, which would be cheaper and have much longer battery life than the iPhone. Maybe the guy didn't know he could buy something like that. <laughs> or maybe it was just a, a, a convenience thing. Maybe, maybe he didn't know where he could get a GPS tracker locally and he had an iPhone handy. So Yeah. Well, so tracking is going to be a big issue going forward, in part because AirTags. We'll get to that in just a minute, because before then, we mentioned... Some months ago that Amazon has this new thing that they call Sidewalk. It's a sort of a network where Amazon devices like ring cameras and doorbells can participate in a network to track things. Tile, which is the first company that made a popular Bluetooth tracker similar to the AirTags, or the AirTag is similar to Tile, is now going to use Amazon Sidewalk network to track things. It won't be as efficient as using iPhones, but it is an improvement. When we talked about Amazon Sidewalk, what I was worried about was the bandwidth that might be used for certain things like uploading video and stuff. And here, the amount of bandwidth used for tracking is very minimal. Yeah. And I remember when we talked about Amazon Sidewalk on the show before, there, there's something that kind of rubs you the wrong way when you when you when you think about how like Amazon is trying to make it easier for things around you to sort of be tracked. And it's, it's, that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, more than a little bit uncomfortable. And so, um, of course, you can choose whether you want to enable uh, or disable Amazon Sidewalk technology. You don't have to have that enabled on your Amazon devices. But I believe it's enabled by default. Yeah, I think you might be right about that. So it's probably something you do have to opt out of. Um, I think at the time we discussed it, it was something that was maybe in beta or starting to roll out, if I remember right. Yeah. And so you could preemptively opt out of it at at the time. But uh, I get why Tile wants to do this. I mean, they need to do something now because now that Apple has emerged into this market with AirTags, what's the reason to use Tile anymore? I mean, there's not nearly as as big of an ecosystem of Tile users as there are of Apple device users. And that's really the key with the automatic success of AirTags is that everybody, you know, half the world has an iPhone, right? So um, it, it really makes it a lot easier to be able to track de- uh, devices with an AirTag than it does with Tile because... Uh, until now, that relied on people who are Tile users. Right. You would have to have the Tile app installed on your device. Now, if you can add ring doorbells and cameras, that will track a little bit more. Now, theoretically, the range on these devices is about 100 meters. So I've got a ring doorbell and 
the road is about, I don't know, 10 meters, 30 feet from the door. So if someone dropped something in front of my house, it would get picked up by my ring doorbell. By the way, I need to go into the ring settings and find how I can turn this off just in case. But you won't have the, you won't have the possibility of people moving around. It'll all be static. There's no ring doorbells in cars and it'll make it a lot more difficult. So I did an experiment. This was a lot of fun. I took an AirTag and I mailed it to a friend who lives in Kent, south of London. And I wanted to see how well I could track this. Now, we're just talking about the problem with Amazon Sidewalk and Tile. The whole advantage of the AirTag is that every Apple device that has the Find My App turned on is passively participating in this network. Now, Apple says they've got somewhere around a billion devices, which when you think about it, you know, since 2007, and we have a billion active iOS devices is quite impressive. So I thought, what would happen? How many people in the postal service, Royal Mail here in the UK, have iPhones? What would it be like to try and track a package from my home to someone else's house? So I took an AirTag, I put it in a bubble envelope, dropped it in the mailbox, which is just down the road. In fact, you can look at my article and see a photo of our mailbox. It needs a paint job. I'll have to mention that to the postman. And I was able to follow it on pretty much every step of its journey. Now, the Find My App updates irregularly. It's it's hard to know when it updates because in some other testing with AirTags I did last week, my partner took an AirTag when she went on an errand and she had an iPhone with her. So I expected it to update more often, but it didn't. But here, the AirTag got picked up from the mailbox at about 5 p.m. It wasn't long after that that it was down at the closest, what do they call it, the, the delivery office nearby. Then it went into the town, strapped upon Avon. A little bit later, it's on the road. Then it's going down the motorway, and then it stops off at this big sorting center. And so what's interesting is that so many of these people have iPhones, and there are so many iPhones around this that I was able to track this all the way from the beginning to the end. Now, I don't know how many gaps there were in coverage when this happened. I didn't really look on Find My at the time it was picked up. If I had been in my office, I would have seen the, the little red mail truck go by and I would have checked Find My at that point to know if that driver had an iPhone, because if he didn't, it wouldn't get picked up. The Find My app will show you the current location of any of these devices. It won't show you a historic location, so you can't track it on a map. So what I had to do is, in the evening, I set up a script on one of my Macs. I opened the Find My app with this AirTag selected, and I had a script take a screenshot every two minutes. So until the next morning, I could see exactly what was happening. I could see where it was moving, where it was stopping. All of these screenshots had times on them. I could see that it stayed here for two hours, stayed there for four hours, got to the final mail depot at 6.45, was delivered a couple hours later, and... It's actually quite impressive to see how much you can track with an AirTag. Yeah, by the way, this is some great reporting, Kirk. I really liked reading through your your story of, of how you got all this stuff set up. Very clever, by the way. I like the idea of leaving Find My open and having it automatically screenshotted every couple of minutes. And, and Kirk, by the way, stitched together a, a video showing uh, some of the places that the AirTag was along its path. I think one of the one of the things that's worth mentioning about this is just that because uh, Apple devices are are everywhere, that's what really enables this to 
be a thing, right? I mean, um, again, with Tile, you, you're relying on other Tile users. With AirTag, you're just relying on people having any Apple device, mainly an iPhone. So just the ubiquity of iPhone enables this. It makes it so that you can track um, where an AirTag is along its its path, um, which is really fascinating. And I'd be very curious to see um, how well this works in more rural areas. Um, well, I'm in a rural area. It got picked up and it... it- yeah, I'm I'm in a village living next to a farm. I'm in a village of 100 people, so it's rural. And when it got to the first sorting center, that's rural. It only gets when it gets up to the motorway, what you would call a freeway, then that's, you know, there's a lot of traffic. What I wonder is was it picked up on that motorway because the driver had an iPhone or was it cars driving by that were picking it up? I think it's probable that that it's the latter that it does the AirTag doesn't have to be too close to a phone for too long to be picked up. You know, if the truck is driving at 60 miles an hour and the cars are going at 70, they're still going to be close enough for a while. It's kind of interesting to think about what the network is, what the web of devices is that allows this to happen. And also what happens when multiple devices pick it up. I assume that enables them to triangulate the location a little bit more precisely. There's one of the screenshots in my little video. You see a very large circle, and it says that the the AirTag is somewhere in this circle, so it wasn't precise. But on most of the others, the circles are a lot smaller, which means they have a better idea of the location. Right, right, exactly. And and I think um, most likely where this is going to work when it's traveling, you know, on the road somewhere is when you're parallel with somebody else. I really don't think it's very likely that if if you're passing by somebody in the opposite direction that an AirTag is is, you know, going to get flagged by uh, another, you know, an Apple device, an iPhone no, or something. No, no. I I think it's going to that would be too quick. That would be, you know, a half a second when that happens. But what's important to point out is you can't track someone in real time. This is not Tom Cruise tracking like the Florida man did with the iPhone. You get locations, it updates occasionally. I don't know how often it updates, and so I did an experiment with my partner last week. She took an AirTag with her when she went on a uh, an errand, and it updated once or twice when she was on the road, but then when she got to a shopping mall, it updated several times. My thought is that when it's moving fast, it updates less often than when it's moving slowly. She had an iPhone with her, so it was always able to find the precise location. It wasn't like, okay, there's no one who can spot the AirTag, and then all of a sudden we're in a mall with a lot of iPhones. Maybe, though, where there are more iPhones, it's going to update more often. I don't, I don't think Apple's going to want to tell anyone about this. Because in some ways, and we'll maybe talk about this next week, there is a certain creep factor involved here that you can plant one of these devices on someone and while you can't follow them in real time, you can know where they're going and where they've been. If, like I did, you keep the Find My app open, take screenshots or, or record video to see where they're going. You won't, as I said, get a history of locations, but you will be able to spot specific locations. And if you see one that hasn't updated for a couple of hours, you're assuming that the person's been there for a long time. Well, and as you kind of alluded to there, we might have been burying the lead a little bit here because you actually sent this AirTag to a friend 
And we expected that within a few days that this friend might get some sort of notification on his iPhone that there was an AirTag found with him, right? So Apple is supposed to alert you, AirTag found moving with you. You're supposed to get this message when an AirTag has been in your presence for a few days. It's supposed to be three days. Right. And after four days... Your friend still hadn't seen any kind of message, hadn't heard any sort of sound playing from the AirTag or anything like that. Right. So there's two things going on. One is that you actually have to move around. And it's not that clear in Apple's documentation. I find this a little problematic because this means that you could, let's say, you're in a gym with someone and you plant an AirTag in their bag and they take it home. But then the bag's sitting there. You know that the person's still at home. You know where they live, right? You found where they live through that approximately, but they're not alerted because it's not moving. Now, the other thing that happens is supposedly after three days, you're supposed to hear a sound for 15 seconds. My friend actually went on to, I think the Apple website has a video of all the different sounds the AirTag can play. So he could be prepared to hear the sound. And he didn't hear it because maybe he'd gone out. Maybe he was in the shower. Maybe he had the TV on. While some people who've looked into it have seen that as long as you keep it moving, you will get the alerts on the iPhone, which will tell you how to disable it. The fact that you don't get any more than a a subtle notification of a sound playing after a few days, I think is problematic. More to come probably about this creep factor. I think we're going to do some a little bit more research and see what else we can find out about this because Apple, unfortunately, does not seem to have been documenting this extremely well. Okay, that's enough for this week. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.